Rico Navarro weaving his way through, and it's in! All right, football fans, welcome into episode 66 of the Intercontinental Football Show. I am one of your co-hosts, Tyler Terrens, the voice of the Chicago Fire. And joining me is a man who is finally stateside, none other than Arlo White. And the Intercontinental Football Show is brought to you by Revolution Brewing, the largest independent brewery in all of Illinois and making all of their beer with pure Lake Michigan water goodness. A tumultuous week for the Chicago Fire. Three games in about eight days Started in Houston with a loss. Then it was a league-shattering 1-0 win over the first place, or then first place, Philadelphia Union. And then a 2-1 loss at San Jose. And the Fire will have a week to recover, six days to be exact, before they take on Caleb Porter and the Columbus crew, a team that Ezra Hendrickson is all too familiar with. And before we go anywhere, Arlo, there was something, unfortunately... Um, but seems to be happening consistently in this country uh, that was bigger than football this weekend. Um, on the 4th of July in the parade in Highland Park, um, a young man opened fire uh, on, on a number of people. Six were killed. Um, two dozen were injured. Um, the fire released a statement on the day. So we are heart- heartbroken by the tragic shooting in Highland Park this morning. There is no place for gun violence in our community or our country. Our hearts are with the victims and families of today's tragedy and with all those impacted by gun violence every day. Enough is enough. And the fire were not the only Chicago teams um, in the area to rally behind Highland Park. Um, I I was talking to a multitude of people. And this, unfortunately, just continues to be a theme in this country, a a theme on the 4th of July of all days. Um, And this hit very, very close to home for a number of people in the Chicagoland area, for a number of people who work at the Chicago fire, who had family and friends who were at the parade. Mm-hmm. Um, it, enough really is enough. Um, and we continue to say that, unfortunately, it seems like a lot of the country becomes desensitized to this because it happens so often, but, um, a, a senseless act of, of violence and again, involving a gun and our, our thoughts and prayers go out to, to those who are affected, to those who are at the parade and, and just a heartbreaking situation, Arlo. Yeah. And I, I echo all of that, uh, Tyler, well said, I mean, it's, um, I hadn't even got to Chicago yet, and there were people, numerous people, family members, friends, texting me saying, are you okay? Is everything all right? And I was like, well, yeah, fine. I've not got to Chicago yet. I didn't know what they were talking about. Uh, and then obviously the true horror of the situation became became apparent very, very quickly. Um, you know, July the 4th, the, the, the day of celebration, the day that families gather, the day that there are parades um, through through the streets to celebrate the independence of this amazing country, and and it ends in horror like that. And it, you know, I, I've seen a couple of other incidents around the country as well that um, that were disrupted by by gun violence. And you know, I know we say a lot that um, enough is enough, um, but in, enough never seems to be enough uh, for anything to to change. But now, you know, um, we're, we're getting into a situation where July fourth parades are not safe and they turn into battle battle zones which is one of the eyewitness accounts of, of the situation um and and hopefully hopefully that's the catalyst for change but it's just it's just absolutely awful um and 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 for somebody from overseas you know i know th- i'm not a us citizen and um you know i, I know a lot of people are sensitive to, to people from overseas talking about US issues and constitutional issues. 
Um, so I won't go too deeply into it because it's kind of a problem that America has to figure out. But uh, all I can say is that the, the, the world looks at America in, in admiration in many ways, but in, in utter befuddlement and bewilderment as to why and how this is allowed to happen. Um, so, yes, um, huge sympathies to, to the families involved and, and to those that, that have been, you know, psychologically scarred by, by a horrendous situation. And, um, yeah, thoughts and prayers with, with those that have been affected. And even Sasha question of the LA Galaxy following um, their game, you know, he was at the podium and basically opened with his own statement and said, uh, I'm not here to really talk about the game. Just not to would rather rather talk about gun violence and and how to and how to fix the issue or whatever that looks like in this country, um, which was a really nice sentiment. But but it's just that it's a sentiment, and unfortunately, an athlete cannot uh, in, affect change in that way. But it, it's it's good to see that you know, especially a, a veteran of the league like Sasha, um, you know, at the forefront of it and and recognizing that this is just this is just a game, and and there are things that are going on in this country seemingly every single week um, that that need to change, but. Um, you know, we must go on as a country and on this podcast, we need to find a way to transition um, from talking about something as tragic as, as six people dying on the 4th of July at a parade um, to talking about the Chicago fire and and what's gone down um, over the past week or so. Um, so. So we'll attempt to do that. And, you know, let's let's just talk about um, the San Jose game. Arlo was your first uh, game back on the call for the fire. I was down yep. pitch side, um, you know, three man booth was back together really high uh, hopes and, and a lot of momentum going into the game coming off of the win against Philadelphia. Um, I think, you know, that, that win against the first place team at the time galvanized the locker room. And, you know, even before that win, there was a different vibe about the group and a different level of focus heading into that game. So then when they got the win, you're heading into San Jose, last place team in the Western conference, bleeding goals left and right. And you're thinking to yourself, if you can somehow pick up a point and possibly even three and head into a three game homestand, you're putting yourself in a really good spot to maybe make a little run and and to really put yourself in the hunt heading into August. And with the shortened season in the World Cup, you know this the, you're running you're running out of runway. Um, the fire, I thought Arlo played well enough to win for stretches of the game. Obviously, yeah. we're not switched on for the entirety of the game. Did not take their chances in the first half that they were that they were either given or created out of just pure ingenuity. I'm thinking of the Shakiri Mueller um, combination in the back heel. But uh, a really disappointing loss for the fire following that win against Philadelphia against a team that um, they most certainly, I think, are better on paper and and are just more talented across the board. But San Jose, credit to them on the day who, who were able to get the job done. Yeah, <clears throat> good for San Jose. I mean, yeah, like you say, they they have the worst defense in Major League Soccer, which gave gave a lot of hope going into the game for the fire that that they could get a, a decent road result and, and the recent road form and I'm not talking about just this season but you know we, we were chatting after the game Tyler weren't we with Tony that that it's it's a it's been an issue for a long time road, the road performances well at least the road results you know I, I don't have any issue with going to Houston and it being a thousand degrees and, and not winning because I think those conditions are outrageously tough uh, to win football matches and if you're not if you're not used to it but it was a beautiful evening in San Jose it was about 70 degrees it was perfect for football um and the fire in the first half played some good stuff some really really good stuff and you mentioned the, the back heel it was at Shakiri to Mueller that they peppered Marcinkowski's goal with with shots they had one-on-ones Federico Navarro had one uh Kasper Shabilko had a decent opportunity as well and going into half time I think when you spoke to Ezra uh, on the broadcast he said look we've got to take our chances 
And of course they have to, because now, thanks to Gutierrez's last-minute goal that gave, you know, 30 seconds of hope at the end, um, that was dashed, of course. The, the Fire have scored 16 in, I think, 17 games, or it might even be 18 games. And that's not enough, <laughs> because the, well, whilst the San Jose Earthquakes have the worst defence in Major League Soccer, they've also scored 27 goals. And since Alex Cavello took over, they've won four and drawn one, I think it is, of the five games at home. So they found a little bit of form. Montero was, was I thought, excellent. Espinosa, very, very good. Kinkanovic got the two goals. The, the second goal was, was unlike anything I think I've ever seen. It was literally it, a FIFA game. Literally. Yeah, FIFA game. <laughs> I think I said on the call that there were four attempts. There weren't. There were five. Two of which hit the woodwork and eventually Kinkanovic put the ball into the into the back of the net. But that happened, and I want to get your view on this, because you were low down in between the benches. Um, and it, it was the talk of, well, it was a talk of part of the flight home yesterday on the on the team charter. But um, the Rafa Shihos penalty incident, for me, that's a clear-cut penalty. It, it, it is an absolute penalty. Um, it, 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 I can understand how it can be missed by a referee initially, but that's what VAR is for. It's for tidying up clear and obvious errors. And once he went to the screen, and we talked about it on a previous episode of the pod, I think you mentioned to me that it was 92% of the time the referees overturned their original decision. And, and in that instance, it would have meant a penalty for, for the fire with, what, 15, 10, 15 minutes to go, to go to 1-1, and then maybe to push for a, a late victory. Um, he, he must have looked at it 15 times. To me, that is a foul. He's in the act of shooting. It was a kick in the back of the leg by Judson. Um, but for whatever reason, didn't think he'd made a clear and obvious error, and the penalty wasn't given. And the second goal, the real dagger, came a, what, a minute or so after that. That that was tough to take. Yeah, and you know, Victor Rivas is a is a interesting referee in this league. Um I think that the you know, pro referee are really high on him because he is young and you know, he's sort of a new generation of referee, but he's also still very young and still very inconsistent and it was difficult to tell what was a foul and what wasn't a foul dur- throughout the game and even when it was a foul, it was incredibly soft. Um, and and for this league and for these two teams, um, to, for the game to be called in that fashion was a little unfortunate. And I don't want to, you know, totally harp on the refereeing. But when you look at that play and you see it in VAR, like you said, I don't understand how you can look at it and be like, yeah, the call that we made on the field is the right one. I don't. I, I just don't. I don't understand how that how that ends up being the case after after looking at it that many times. And then there were other people who will say, "Well, if they looked at it that many times, then it's not clear and obvious." Well, he's just looking at it too many times. I think that after the third or fourth, you're probably mm-hmm. like, "Okay, this is this is clearly a pen." But um, Rafa was, you know, I, I, you know, I've seen Rafa upset. Uh, that that was a different level for him um, and and the entire group, to be completely honest, because I think they knew it was an opportunity squandered. Um, to, to at least get a point out of that game. But um, yeah, it was, just, it was just an unfortunate series of events. But again, you know, like at, at this point in the season, given the fact that you went on a 10-match winless streak, the fire are, you, you cannot, in this league, you cannot be relying upon VAR and referees to bail you out of road games, right? They, they had opportunities to score in the first half. They didn't take them. Um, and, and San Jose beat the fire in the exact way that I think Ezra and the coaching staff knew that if they were going to beat them, they did, right? It was it was over the top. It was long balls. It was going the other direction quickly. And and the front four for, for San Jose, and that's excluding Cade Cowell, are very dangerous. You know, they, they are the fifth highest scoring team in the Western Conference despite their defensive record. And 
And, and, and everybody knew that coming into the game of Bobasi's got pace, Espinosa's class. You know, Montero is an absolute pest. How many times did he win the ball mm. back in the middle of the field um, with fire players thinking that they had taken a touch to get away from him? He goes to ground, picks up the ball, San Jose go the other way. I so, thought he was out of the match, Tyler, actually, overall. I, I, if you, I, I have if no, no argument. Yeah, if you're combining both teams, I know Kinkanovic scored a couple of goals and Espinosa was was good and, and our own Slanina played, you know, excellently, made some great saves. But I thought in terms of the influence on the game uh, in both directions, <clears throat> I thought Montero was absolutely terrific. And he he has the has this sort of Fede Navarro like ability to win the ball back. Mm. But where he does it is high up the field. And then he has the ability to to bring others into play and to create chances in, in the final third after he's won the ball. So, I mean, they are two um, talents that, that are highly sought after in any form of football. Yeah. And in Major League Soccer, a player like that, you know, what a great signing for the San Jose Earthquakes and a big loss for the Philadelphia Union. They don't appear to be feeling it very much, but he just gives them that spark in the final third, you know, whether he's in possession or not. And he was one of the major differences between this, the, the teams in terms of the result in the end. And, and, you know, let's let's focus on some of the positives. There are some because Brian Gutierrez gets his first Major League Soccer goal and John Duran and him immediately come on and immediately make an impact. And, yeah. you know, Duran picks up the ball, shows great strength, takes two or three dribbles, picks his head up, sees Gutierrez making a run, th- threads, a, threads a perfect ball. Gutierrez takes a pretty good first touch, able to finish, goes through the legs of Marcinkowski. Um, and we were waiting for that Gutierrez moment. And you said it, um, you know, when he came on, is this is this perhaps that big Gutierrez moment that we've been waiting for? And while the result is going to overshadow a, a big individual moment for Gutierrez, hopefully that is the moment where the floodgates are going to open for the young man from Burbank, where he is going to be able to come on and now know that he has goals in him because he's been coming on and making an impact since 2020. But you know, you know, like you, you know, Arlo, it's, it's, it's a matter of, you know, seeing the ball find the back of the net so that you can have confirmation that you can do it again. Um, so I, I, you know, I think that Duran and Gutierrez are great. Gaga continues to impress since, and, and it's been going on since the, um, since the DC game, you know, he didn't have to make a, a tremendous amount of saves or really any world-class saves against DC. Um, but then it was a few amazing saves against Houston, despite a two nil loss. And then he was out of this world against Philadelphia and another great performance against San Jose. So after a, after a rough patch for Gaga, all we wanted to see was him bounce back. And, and he's seemingly doing that. Without a doubt. I mean, yes, there were doubts, weren't there, after a couple of, of, of slightly sketchy performances. Um, away at the New York Red Bulls was, was a, a big example of that. But, you know, he's back to his commanding best. What you're going to get with Gaga is um, a confident young man, regardless of what the situation is. He has that short memory that you need to have, I think, particularly in the position of goalkeeper, because you can't let, let mistakes linger. You, you can't dwell on them because, you know, another shot's going to be coming your way any second. And the way that he has psychologically recovered from a, a couple of iffy games I think has been very very impressive he, he dominated his penalty area he was great under the high ball he, he knew when to catch when to punch you know it's great as you know standing next to Tony and listening to to his critique of goalkeepers um, because who knows more than Tony Miola for goodness sake Hall of Famer of course and um, it was it was a very very good performance you know a lot of the work that he had to do was, of course, because the fire were chasing the game and because they didn't put the chances away in the first half, they had to they had to chase the game, particularly then at 2-0. Um, so that opened them up a little bit. But, um, you know, when you're looking at, at 
uh, good performances. Slanina leads the way again. Duran, I thought, was excellent. And I think one of the big the big talking points going into Columbus at the weekend, and, and Ezra knows this, um, it's what does he do up top? Mm. Because Casper, um, I feel so bad for him at the moment because goal scorers, when they go through runs like this, and they're not scoring goals, and I think he's got one in 11 or maybe even one in 12 now after the San Jose game. Um, it's hard. You can tell he's a player who isn't blessed with the most amount of confidence at the moment. His hold-up play can be pretty good, and it was excellent against Philadelphia. And he had really good moments against San Jose as well. When they're using it with the wall pass, you give it into him, he holds it up, defender at his back, and he can release it either way and, and, and give the ball back to you. A couple of really good moments. In front of goal, it's, it's not quite happening for him at the moment. He needs one, as Tony said on the call, to go in off his ear. I said off his backside. It doesn't matter which part of his anatomy a goal goes in off. It just needs to go into the back of the net and, and maybe he'll get on on a run. If if Ezra does want to switch things up, maybe take him um, uh, out of the, the front line for, for you know a game or two, I don't know. Um, but maybe John Duran provides a different threat, combines well with Gutierrez. Um, I expect Gutierrez to start against Columbus. Uh, Jairo Torres came off the bench. That was that was really promising. Um, it was late on, didn't really get involved too much in the game, but we know what he is capable of. So in terms of, you know, forward thinking players, Gutierrez, excellent. Um, Torres coming back. Mueller wasn't necessarily his day, but you can see what he's massively capable of. And it looks like Shakiri's injury isn't maybe as bad as, as first feared, and he, he should be good to go. So, you know, at home again, Saturday night against Columbus, regroup, um, two wins in a row at home, two clean sheets in a row at home. Um, let's hope, that, that, as, as Ezra says, let's turn Soldier Field into a fortress and then eventually try and sort this road form out because it doesn't get any easier on the road for the fire going through July and, and, and into August. But, you know, frustratingly, there were patches of 20 minutes where you think, wow, it's clicking. Going forward, excellent. Holding on to the ball, build up play, slick football, creating chances. Um, but unfortunately, it's putting that together for 90 minutes rather than spells of 20. Yeah, and they're they're really going to have to um, button everything up heading into this three-game homestand because, like we talked about with Tony, it was I think he was looking for something around nine points for the for these next four games. Mm. That was including the San Jose game. I, I think everybody can do the math uh, wherever you're listening right now. Uh, you're looking at three wins against Columbus, Toronto, and Seattle if you are going to pull off those nine points now. The, these these Toronto and Columbus games are, are are bigger than the Seattle one just for the fact that it's in the Eastern Conference and those are two teams that you are in fact chasing. So um, that game is going to be at Soldier Field. That is going to be a seven o'clock Central Time kickoff. Um, Columbus have not lost in their last five. They're coming off of a nil nil draw against the Philadelphia Union. Before that, it was a two one win at Toronto, a nil nil draw at Real Salt Lake, which is a fantastic result at altitude and against the Real Salt Lake team that's been playing incredibly well. And that's also a one one draw before that against Charlotte. So this is a group that's been tough to beat as of late. And I think Caleb Porter is starting to get them to click a little bit. Um, obviously, bringing over Hernandez from from Watford um, is, a, is a huge get for them. Um, and this is going to be an emotional game for Ezra. You know, Caleb Porter is somebody who um, Ezra learned under. And, you know, obviously knows the ins and outs of that and uh, of that organization probably knows where the bodies are hidden and the whole thing. So um, this will be a very, very interesting uh, fixture at Soldier Field. And dare I say at this point in the season with the team that you're chasing uh, a must win. 
And and I hate to bring that up on a on a game that's being played on July 9th, but we are getting dangerously close to that. Mm. Um, especially given the fact that these all, all these games are at home. And if you can turn Soldier Field into a fortress, much like Charlotte um, have turned Bank of America into a fortress, yeah, you can be hovering around the playoff line if you're unbeatable and winning games left and right at home. But the problem for the fire is, is that they dropped a lot of points uh, at home earlier in the season. So if they want to, if they want to do that, they can. And I think that they're capable of it. Um, but, but this is all going to start against Caleb Porter's group and, and they're going to need a huge, huge result. And not that this, this is even in question, but they're going to need Soldier Field to be rocking and feel that energy that they felt on Wednesday night against Philadelphia. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. And, and I watched the, the broadcast of the Philadelphia game and the atmosphere was, was incredible. And, and the players feed off that. So Guys, I know it's frustrating, but let's get down to the lakefront on Saturday night. It's it's a winnable game. It's a big game. It's the start of the second half of the season. Um, the, there's fireworks afterwards as well, if you want to stick around. Hopefully there's fireworks during the 90 minutes and we managed to get three points. But um, I, I chatted briefly to, to Ezra because obviously I know him from my Seattle days. And you mentioned that he learned under Caleb Porter. You know, in, initially, I guess that education uh, began under Ziggy Schmidt um, at, at the likes of LA Galaxy. And then obviously... Um, getting things moving in in Seattle and I remember my first season and we talked about this briefly at halfway in 2010 which was the Sounders second season they were out of it I mean I think they they like the fire had won like four games something like that it was a real struggle in the first half of the season and then the second half they had a lot of home games because they've got a similar dynamic in Seattle with the Seahawks being uh, sharing Lumen Field as well so there were a lot of sort of um, home games in this July August period and they went on a tear Freddie Montero just couldn't stop scoring Still can't, and it's about 12 years later, and he's still there with the Seattle Sounders banging in goals. Uh, good for Freddie. But it, it, it just showed that that we, it's not necessarily flicking a switch, but once you get into situations where you know you haven't got any wriggle room, you, you, great phrase that you've got, uh, which is you're running, you're running, running out of runway, um, and it's got to start. But I've seen it happen. I've seen yeah. second-half tears happen in this league. And when you go on a second-half of the season tear and you go into the playoffs with, with momentum, you, you are in one of the best positions of every, anybody in the playoffs because you're in form. The, the gap to the playoff line, it doesn't look good. It's eight points, but it's not unassailable. Um, the goals need to go in. The home points need to be gathered. And if if the Sounders, just to just to sort of modify Tony's Tony's uh, desire, if they can get three against Columbus, three points midweek against Toronto, and then, you know, get a point against the CONCACAF Champions League winners, Seattle, the following Saturday, you know, another one of Ezra's former clubs, as I say. And then, then things are looking rosier. But I think in this situation, what do they say? Every journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. And the single step is Columbus. One nil, a goal off Kasper Bilko's backside, and that will do me. And we can all sit back, watch the fireworks, enjoy them, and then move on to Toronto in the middle of the week. But at some point, chances are going to have to be taken in order for points to be gathered here. And it's getting to that point where it needs to happen now. Yep. It is all set up for the fire to be able to go on this tear, but um, it is going to take something special. And, and I think that 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 feeling of of like every game is a final is a very real one. And and, you know, like you said, it's a good place to be at if you can pull that second second half tear off, because then you sort of you, you have that fight or flight um, mentality. And, you know, that when you're put in those situations where you have to pick up points that you can 
And but the fire just need to be able to prove that. So again, seven o'clock, Soldier Field, Columbus Crew, Caleb Porter, Ezra Hendrickson should be a great one. Um, you know, Darlington Nagby has been one of the best midfielders in Major League Soccer for about a decade. Um, so it should be a great game. If you haven't got your tickets already, go to ChicagoFireFC.com. It looks like it's going to be a magnificent day. I think hovering right around 70, 72 degrees, not too hot. Um, you, you guys will be up in the booth. I'll be down on the pitch side. Um, but you know, this should, this is a huge, huge, huge stretch. And, and the fans, if, if they are, if the fire are going to pull this off and, and really get back in the playoff hunt, um, are going to have a huge, huge role in it. So, um, please find your way to the lakefront and we will have a grand old time watching the fire pick up three points this weekend. Arlo, you are officially a uh, Chicago side, uh, anything at the top of your, uh, of your to-do list right now, while you are hanging out. Uh, downtown any any restaurants you're trying to hit up are you are you jonesing for some deep dish pizza are you trying to get over <laughs> the brewing like what's like what are you like I, like are you having a, a chicago craving at the moment yeah well all of those things that you mentioned I, th- I think i think i'm gonna hit gibson's today we're recording on a tuesday might have a little steak at gibson's and tuesday, uh tuesday gibson run uh, oh, just, I mean, just just like the rest of us do <laughs> well it's it's not far away and it's a nice little stroll uh to gibson and i just i, did, I know i'm in chicago when i'm sitting eating a nice steak in, in gibson so i'm definitely going to do that what i need from you is an answer to the question that we posed earlier this season the day after um, the three points are gathered against toronto i.e next thursday I am throwing the first pitch for the second time at Wrigley Field. Mm-hmm. It is against the New York Mets. If you are to be involved, you may have to don some Cubs attire <laughs> against the Mets. Now, you know, life often presents opportunities and dilemmas. And I just wonder whether you, and by the way, I know that more than anybody at the moment, but I just wonder whether you are prepared to do that in order to oh. get out onto the mound at Wrigley Field. Oh, hold on a second. Before before I even answer this, just <laughs> very uh, implicating question. Uh, is this, I, I don't, I'm not going to answer this hypothetical if I'm not actually going to be throwing, throwing a first pitch out with you. Like I but, am not like what, well, the answer, well, it just, it just, uh, it's the cart and the horse, isn't it? You know, yeah. If, yeah. Yeah. If you, if you answer in a sort of positive way, then the event happens. If you, you know, if you, if you don't, All right, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If I could throw out the first pitch at Wrigley with you. Oh God. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I, I would throw on I, i'd throw on some cubs here yes traitor you're a traitor tyler that's, that's ridiculous i can't Adolf. believe you said that i Adolf. cannot believe you said it's that field. yeah i can't believe you would say that that's incredible you're a mets guy through and through I mean, well, I'm not saying that I wouldn't have my Jacob DeGrom all-star jersey on underneath. And once I threw the first pitch, maybe I tear off my Cubs jersey. And then and then you see that. Now um, we're getting somewhere. Uh, that right. would be good. Disruptor. Right. I'm going to have to warn them, aren't I? Gonna have to and and them. I feel like and I feel like, you know, the game presentation people at, at Wrigley Field would love that because, you know, then I'm the guy who's getting everybody riled up at Wrigley yeah. for the game against the Mets. The drama. It's, yeah. It's plenty of drama. Yeah, it turns, then it turns into a WWE experience, doesn't it? Yes. You know, you're, you you then become the, the 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 enemy, the guy that's booed all the time, the villain, the villain and of the piece. Speaking, speaking of WWE, you know, then we can get a former fire analyst uh, Kevin Patrick uh, involved as well, who who is a now big WWE sensation. He's the voice of Atlanta United and does a lot he of work is. for them, and got he his is. you know got his career started with the fire. But anyway, I am game. 
I am getting, okay. I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to be going to, I think three out of four of those games anyway, as a fan. Um, but I would, I would love to join you. Yeah. And if okay. You know, right. Comes, comes paraphernalia, then yeah, sure. Well, I, well, I'm going to fire off the email today, it, it, confirming that, um, a dub just, just for the record, just for the record, I would put a Chelsea shirt on to take a penalty at Stamford Bridge. I'd put a Liverpool shirt on to take a penalty at Anfield. I would put the, I would put the experience over the, over the, over the, over the, the feeling, the dirty feeling. That, would that you put would, on a Nottingham uh, Forest kit and take a penalty? Oh, you see, now I knew you'd go there. Or Derby? Would you put a Derby County Darby. kit on? No. Right. Next subject. Let's exactly. move on. <laughs> but these, but the Cubs are not the the Mets. Direct. No, 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 no. No. By, no, by no stretch of the imagination. If no. this was Yankees or like Braves situation, yes. or Phillies, yes. yeah, no, no, not happening. Not happening. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But but, but I, I get your point. A-Dub, I get your point. Um, but, yeah, let's see if we can make that work then. And maybe, I don't know, we'll film it or something. And that be that might be a nice little bit of uh, I tell you what, let's film it and let's take our phones and then we'll, we can play the highlights on the next pod of, of our experience at Wrigley Field. Yeah. Because it may or may not involve singing the seventh inning stretch as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so I might, I'm I'm, I'm much better at singing the seventh inning stretch once I've had uh, you know about four or five freedom lemonades from Revolution <laughs> Brewing, which I tried for the first time when uh, the CSO Doug Valicki and uh, and the and the chief uh, brewmaster were were giving a little presentation at the Chicago Fire offices at one North Dearborn. Um, oh, freedom wow. lemonade is like kind of like it's like almost like a shandy. Um, yeah. it's, it's really, really, really good. It's like super refreshing on a hot day. I think it was 98 degrees when they, when they, when they came over and that was like the only one I'd, I'd already had hazy pitch and I hadn't tried the freedom lemonade, but absolutely delicious. And Doug and Jim do just an incredible job over there. And they, they love the fire. They love the partnership. Um, and, and we love them. So, uh, so thank you again to Doug and Jim and everybody's support over at revolution brewing for, for all of their help and, and all of their support, um, on the pod and, and for the fire. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, this is good stuff. All right. So I got to, um, gather my thoughts and, uh, let my father know what I'm going to be doing potentially. And, you know, he, he may or may not disown me from the family. I'll have to tell <laughs> grandfather Bobo too. Uh, you know, I might not be a Terrans when it's all said and done, but if it means that I can throw out a first pitch at Wrigley field, you know, I, I it might be worth it. <laughs> well let's uh, let's see how this all plays out because it's going to be a lot of fun and hopefully we can do it um following following the gathering of six points three against yeah. the columbus crew and three against toronto fc and get this season on track and and build a, a little bit of momentum because i know that this team has the talent to be able to do that and hopefully they can start electrifying um, um soldier field on a, on a regular basis and gather some points and one big shout that we uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Arlo uh, is Chris Brady and the U20 yeah. and the U20 US Youth National Team winning the CONCACAF Championship qualifying for the U20 World Cup qualifying for the Olympics Chris Brady named to the CONCACAF U20 best 11 and best goalkeeper award um, 20 saves and six appearances five clean sheets that US team is legit like really, really legit number of players from the Philadelphia Union. And there were a lot of guys who were missing as well. I mean, Gaga and Brian Gutierrez obviously were not with them. Um, and and there were, you know, Kevin Paredes was another one who, who was eligible and didn't play with them. But this team was absolutely phenomenal. They ended up beating Dominican Republic uh, in the final. And Dominican Republic are going to the Olympics for soccer, which is not something you hear every day. Um, but, but a phenomenal performance from the United States, obviously having missed out on the Olympics for the past few cycles mm. and, um, you know, congratulations to them and congratulations to Chris and, you know, 
the 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 talk and and the transfer rumors about Gaga with Madrid and Chelsea and all that is is amazing, and he obviously has been at the forefront of all of this. But what a lot of Fire fans may not know is that Chris Brady um, might be the second best young goalkeeper in the in the country behind Gaga, and both of them are in the Fire organization. And Chris is starting to get the 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 due that he's deserved. Absolutely, and you know, having worked for NBC for three Olympic Games, I, I didn't see the US men's team at those at those games. They didn't qualify for London, they didn't qualify for Rio, they didn't qualify for Tokyo. It was all about the the women's team at those competitions. So to see them back at the Olympics is is absolutely fantastic. And did they play Honduras along the way in in one of those games? They did. They played Honduras in a semifinal, similar to what the U23s did last summer. Yeah. to get into the Olympics. So it was sort of this it was the same sort of format and same and same team that they ended up playing and they ended up beating Honduras. So I spoke to to Tony Miola about it before the game in San Jose and he said that was the best performance he'd seen by a US men's national team at any level. And I thought, wow. I mean, that's including the seniors as well. He said it was complete. He said it should have been, was it 3-0? should have been 5 or 6 against a tough team. Um, as complete a performance as he'd ever seen by a, by a men's national team. So that, that bodes very, very well for the future um, and not just the Olympic Games uh, for, the, for the men's national team as a whole. So congratulations to that group and, and to Chris. Um, travel back safe. And, um, and yeah, yeah that's, that's exciting to see both teams competing at the level of the Olympic Games. Very exciting for the future. Chris Brady goes the entire knockout round without conceding a goal. And with that, we will conclude this episode. And a quick reminder again to head over to Chicago Fire FC's website if you want to vote for any of your Chicago Fire members to be a part of the MLS All-Star Game, which is taking place on Wednesday, August 10th. But this has been episode number 66 of the Intercontinental Football Show. Fire will the only take time on the England have won anything. 66, that's what that number means at home. 1966, what a glorious summer that was um, in black and white. You want to close this out? <laughs> this has been episode 66. Arlo, very fond of the number 66. And three years later, the Jets won their first Super Bowl in 1969, and their only one, if we're going to do that. Have an awesome week, everyone. Take care.